First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Revolutions, a movement around a central axis, movement that shows the one point that matters most. When all focus is put into something worthwhile, it's amazing how much energy can be created. Good morning, church family. Before we study the Word of God together this morning, there's a few things uh, that I wanted to mention. One was to invite you, uh, after our third service today at 1 o'clock, we're going to have a very special uh, Greater Things Vis- Vision Luncheon. This is a, such an exciting time in the life of our church. We shared uh, back in the fall about uh, the plans that the Lord has given us to expand the facility here to build a new uh, worship center that we hope to break ground on later this year. Uh, we also shared plans with you about uh, the vision God's given us to plant churches here locally and around the nation a- as well and how leaders are already being prepared uh, to be a part of that work. And I know many of you were here in the fall and uh, you've already had a chance to come to one of our vision desserts. And so if that is you, uh, then you wouldn't need to come today to this luncheon because you've already heard uh, what will be shared today. But we also know that there are uh, many folks who have even started attending our church uh, since the fall and since we went through uh, that time with greater things. Or perhaps your schedule uh, just didn't permit you to come to one of the vision desserts that we had at that time. And and so for for those folks, we want to invite you today uh, to come. Uh, We know you want to know what's happening. You want to know what's going on. You want to know how uh, you can get involved. You want to see some of the plans, and uh, we're excited to share that with you. And so again, uh, you're invited today right after the third service at one o'clock. We'll meet in our fellowship hall. Uh, Lunch will be provided for you. You don't need uh, an RSVP. You just need to come at one o'clock today. And so we'd love for you to join us for that. And and of course, the reason that we believe that the Lord has uh, led us to Uh, to expand this facility is because of the amazing growth that God has given uh, to our church family over the past few years. And so kind of related to that, there's a little motto that I want to share with you uh, today and and that I think will serve us over the next couple of years. And, And here it is, park far, sit close, and come late. Now, I'll explain the last part of that uh, in just a minute. But, but the first two, uh, the first two, I think, are pretty self-explanatory. So to park far, to, if you're physically able to, uh, to park as far away from the building uh, as you can, to leave the spots closer in for folks who are new, for a first-time guest, for folks who are unfamiliar with our campus. It's just a simple way uh, that we can serve them, uh, especially over the next couple years as parking becomes more difficult. Uh, the second item there, j- just to sit close, sit to close together, but also to sit close up here to the bald preacher, right? As close as you can get, uh, even in the splash zone. And the first couple rows is okay. You can sit there. Uh, this is uh, important in this service, but it's especially important in our middle service, our 10 o'clock service. Uh, I know even just a few weeks ago, uh, one of the pastors shared with me, we had a couple that came in on their first Sunday. Uh, they came into the back of the room, and uh, they were not able to find two seats together in, in the back half of the room. And a lot of times as a new visitor, you don't want to traipse in front of everybody all the way up to the very front. So actually they ended up leaving the service. They said they'd come back at 1130. We hope they did. But, you know, as a pastor, that breaks my heart. 
And I know it breaks yours as well because we don't know uh, if that couple knows the Lord. We don't know where they stand uh, when it comes to their spiritual walk. And so we want them to be able to find a place here. We want them to be able to hear the gospel here. And so that's a simple way we can serve them, just by sitting as close as you can to the front, leaving spots in the back uh, for our guests, for those who, who come in late to the services. And then the final part of that motto says, come late. Now that doesn't mean come 15 or 20 minutes into the service. We, we'd love for you to be here, you know, for the whole thing. Uh, But what it does mean is if you can come to the late service, to the 1130 service and leave some space in the earlier two services. Now we know that for some of you, your schedule doesn't allow that. Uh, Perhaps you attend a a Sunday school class that wouldn't permit that or the hour that you serve would not permit you to come. But but if your schedule does allow that, if perhaps uh, you uh, just come to worship on Sunday mornings and your life group meets during the week and you could come to any of the three services, uh, then what we're looking for is about 50 folks, 50 missionaries who would take the shortest mission trip you're ever going to take to 11.30, all right, and to come at 11.30 and, and just to free up space in these earlier two services over the next couple of years. And we're going to need that space to be able to continue to reach folks uh, with the good news of Jesus. So that's our, our little motto, to, to park far, to sit close, and uh, to come late, and uh, let's pray the Lord would continue to move, even in this time of waiting and planning uh, for additional worship space. And now if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? Uh, today we are continuing our teaching series called Revolutions. And this is the third week in our four-week series. And we've been walking through the stages of the disciple-making cycle. So a few weeks ago we began uh, in that top left corner talking about sharing. And that's where disciple-making always begins. Sharing our love sharing our life, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people who have not heard it. That's where it has to start. Uh, If you were here on that Sunday, we filled out a card that we call the Launch 321 card. And we wrote down names of three different individuals that we are are praying for, going to be praying for this year, uh, that they would come to know the Lord, praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with one of those individuals sometime this year. And then last time we moved over to that blue section of uh, the cycle and we talked about uh, how do we help connect uh, a brand new believer. How do we help connect them to God and their relationship with God? How do we help connect them to the church, uh, to a small group where they can grow? How do we help connect them to service where they can begin to use their spiritual gifts? And then today we're moving around to that orange section, equip. We're going to be talking today about how do we come alongside even a more mature believer and, and just to help each other, to equip each other to continue growing in our faith and in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4 is a passage. Uh, that speaks a lot about that. And so let's read it together. Ephesians 4, we'll start in verse 11 and read down to verse 16. Paul writes this, And he himself, the Lord Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men 
and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we read your word, as we study your word now together, Lord, that you would work in our lives in such a way that we would be changed, that we would become more like your son Jesus, that we would truly have a heart in our church, not only for our own spiritual growth, but for one another's. And as, as we equip each other to grow, Father, we pray that there would be fruit that would last even into eternity. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know that um, the Super Bowl is tonight, and so many of us have football on our minds right now. And uh, I know that at least those of us who are regenerate, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, are rooting for the Patriots to lose tonight. I'm just kidding, just kidding. I love you Patriots fans too. But I believe it was a a Green Bay Packer coach by the name of Vince Lombardi who once famously looked at his players on the first day of practice for a new season and held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And that kind of has become the classic line on going back to the basics. And so before we jump into this and talk about some of the nuts and bolts of how we equip others in our discipleship, I just want us to go over a few basics as we begin, a few foundational truths that really are going to underlie everything else that we talk about today. And so first off, uh, we're talking about helping each other grow today. And so first, we need to remember that we do all need to grow. We all do all need to grow. We all have a long way to go to become just like Jesus. I think sometimes we get it into our minds that, uh, you know, a brand new Christian, uh, they need to grow. You know, they need to learn a a few things and and kind of, you know, get with the program. But if we've been a Christian for a a while, then we kind of know how it works. And, you know, our job is just to kind of come and and just come to church and kind of coast along. But that is not at all what the Bible says. And this passage that we just read is all about Christians growing and continuing to grow until we're just like the Lord Jesus. Verse 12 talks about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And then look at what verse 13 says. We need to keep on doing that until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 15 says this, speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So we all need to keep growing. No matter how many years we have been a Christian, uh, we have not yet reached to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And of course, we won't until we are with the Lord. And so we all have a long way to go. We all need to keep growing together. Then number two, and this is so important as we talk today about equipping one another, by God's design, the church is an interconnected body where we help each other 
grow. Church is an interconnected body where we help each other grow. So we all need to grow. We just talked about that. And God's plan for us to grow is the church. And you especially see that in verse 16 where he says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, earlier in chapter 2, Paul talked about how we have been fitted together and joined together. And there he used the illustration of a building. That we're like stones being laid one on top of another in this temple, this house that God is building. But here, in chapter 4, he changes the metaphor to that of a body. He talks about how Christ is the head, how the church is his body. And he says that we're all like bones and joints and ligaments and connective tissue. That we're all interconnected. We're all fitted together. And then he says this, when we all do our part, he says when Uh, Every joint does its part. That what ends up happening is the growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love. And so by God's design, as we each do our share, as we each fulfill our function, the body grows. Now this is so countercultural to the way uh, that most people today think about Christianity and even think about the church. Because for us, I really believe this, for us as Americans, we have made everything about us personally and individually. Right? We talk about our relationship with our personal Lord and Savior. We talk about our own personal quiet time. We talk about how we are personally and individually progressing in our walk. And of course, none of those are bad things, but I think sometimes we emphasize the individual so much that we lose sight of the community aspect of the way that God intends for us to grow. As one writer put it, in our age of iPhones and iPads and iTunes, we don't make room anymore for the we life of Christianity. But the church is not an I thing, is it? It's a, it's a we thing. In fact, I love what Jim Putman said. He said this, church is a team sport. Church is a team sport. It's more like football than it is like golf. As each one of us does our part, right, as the offensive line blocks, as the receivers run good routes, as the quarterback throws the ball where he needs to, right, as as every player on the team does its part, then the goal is achieved. We help each other grow, and that is God's design, the body working together, growing taller and taller every day. Here's a third foundational truth. This is really important also, making disciples isn't just the pastor's job. Every Christian is called to this work. I really believe there's a misconception out there that pastors are supposed to be the ones doing all the work of ministry and that everyone else, all other Christians, are just kind of along for the ride. But nothing could be farther from the truth. And this passage makes that so clear. The context of this passage is spiritual gifts. Paul's writing about how the Lord Jesus, after he ascended to the Father, uh, has the authority to give spiritual gifts to his church. And actually what he's emphasizing here is not just the giving of gifts, but the giving of gifted people, people who have those gifts, to the church 
to help the church grow. And so in verse 11, he says, He himself, Christ Jesus, has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets. And we won't spend a long time there, but earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. And in the first century of the church, God gave some special individuals, apostles and prophets, who were the foundation of the church as the church was first being established. But now, uh, those offices, those roles have been replaced by the next couple of items on the list. uh, Those who he calls here evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. Of course, we're all called to evangelize. We're all called to share the gospel. But there are some, as we know, who have been gifted in a special way to be able to share the gospel very effectively. They're called evangelists. And then he says, some pastors and teachers. Now, the way that the Greek is constructed there uh, leads me to believe that he's really not referring to two different offices there, but he's referring to one office with two different functions. Really, you could translate that pastor-teachers. Pastor-teachers, those who are to pastor, to shepherd the church, but also those who are to teach the Word of God. And we could talk a lot more about that role and what that means, but for our purposes today, I want you to see what, what the purpose of all of this is. Why did God give these individuals to the church? Was it, was it just for their own benefit? No. <laughs> was it just so that they could then do all the work of the ministry? No. Look at verse 12. He's given all of this for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So who's supposed to do the work of ministry? The saints, right? Pastors, the pastor's role is to equip the saints to then go out and to do the work of ministry. An illustration that I've used before is just to, to, to really share about the fact that really uh, the saints, the church, are the athletes. You are the one who, who are running the race. Imagine yourself running a race around the track, lap after lap after lap, every week as you go out into this community and you're surrounded by those who don't know the Lord. And our role, our job as pastors is to kind of be that one who every time you finish a lap, we hand you a water bottle, right? We're just the water, water bottle hander-outers, all right? As you make the lap and you make the next turn and you run your race again. But you are the real athletes. You are the one who is called by God to do the work of ministry. And church, this is the only way that a discipleship revolution is going to take place. We understand that, right? Eight pastors cannot effectively disciple 1,200 people. And eight pastors cannot reach 200,000 lost people that live within 10 miles of our church. It's only going to happen if every disciple embraces their role to do the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is making disciples. We're all called to do this. And then the foundational truth, the final one, number four, you can do this. You can make disciples because it is simply helping others to follow Jesus. I'm afraid sometimes we complicate this so much and and we make making disciples sound like such a complex thing that nobody feels like they can do it. But really all it is is following Jesus yourself and bringing some other people along. Helping some other people to follow Jesus also. And so when we talk today about equipping, 
That's all we're talking about. We're talking about coming alongside another brother, another sister, and and just equipping them, giving them what they need so that they can follow Jesus more closely. And by God's grace and by God's power, that is something that every one of us can do. And with the time that we have left, I want us to think together about what, what are we aiming for What are we striving after as we seek to equip someone? I think Ephesians 4 gives us three very clear objectives, three things that we should be aiming for. First off, we should aim for this, that they would know the truth. That they would know the truth. Again, in in verses 11 and 12, Paul says that pastors should keep equipping the saints, that the saints should keep on doing the work of ministry, and we should all keep on doing that until, verse 13, until we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He's writing to Christians here. So when he says the knowledge of the Son of God, he's not just speaking about that basic saving knowledge of God that every believer has. He's speaking about a deeper knowledge of God that grows and grows the longer that we walk with him. You know, for married couples, if you've been married for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, there's there's an intimacy there. There's a knowledge there that no one but the two of you understands. And it's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. As we walk with him year after year after year, there's a sweetness that grows. There's an intimacy that should grow over time as we come to know him more and more and more. And of course, coming to know him also includes coming to know his word. The word of truth that he has given us. And you can tell that growing in the knowledge of the word of truth is not too far from Paul's mind. Because look at what he says next in verse 14, that we should be no longer like children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And so when we don't grow in the knowledge of the truth, then we remain like children when we have been Christians long enough that we shouldn't be children anymore. Now, of course, we all start out as children, right? The Bible says that. That's not offensive. It just says it. When you first come to know Christ, it compares us to a baby Christian, right? We're, we're, a, we're a brand new baby in Christ. And how can we be anything else? When you've only been saved for one day, you've only been saved for one day, right? And so that journey has to begin somewhere, and it begins somewhere for all of us. And so there's nothing wrong with being a baby Christian when you are a brand new Christian. But there is something wrong, the Bible says, when we're still like a baby Christian when we've been a Christian for 50 years. This is what the author of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews 5. Look at this. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He is a baby. That's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4, right? There's nothing wrong when a child acts like a child, but there is something wrong when you see a grown-up behaving like a child, right? And that's what he's saying spiritually, that we've walked with Christ for some length of time, then we should be growing. We should be learning. And if we're not, here's the the real danger. That Then he says we can be blown around by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we can be very gullible. We can be very susceptible to false doctrine, to false teachers, to every wind of doctrine that blows our way. And there's a lot of winds blowing. 
in the 21st century. And there are a lot of believers who are being swept up and carried away by winds of doctrine that have nothing to do with the Word of God. There are some who are being caught up in easy believism. There are some who are being caught up in the prosperity gospel or in charismatic teaching or in the teaching of those who deny the doctrine of hell or those who even deny the doctrine of the atonement or any other number of things. It's so easy to get blown around by false teachings when we do not know the truth. But if we know the word of God, then we are anchored to something. We are tethered to something, and we cannot be blown around. But listen, that doesn't happen. Knowing the truth doesn't happen by accident. It happens by discipleship. And discipleship doesn't just happen by programs and classes. It happens because disciples take the time to make disciples. That is what is needed In the church today, in the same way that it takes a parent to raise a child, it takes a spiritual parent to raise a spiritual child. And that's why today I'm calling on you who have walked with the Lord Jesus for any length of time, who have had the privilege of having others invest in your life over the years to help you to grow to the point you are today, to to return the favor, right? This is how God has designed it to work, to take time to invest in someone else, to help them to grow. So one of the things we need to aim for when we equip another believer is that they would know the truth. Here's number two. We need to aim that they would grow to maturity. Grow to maturity. So when we talk about helping them to know the truth, we don't just mean to know the truth in their heads. We mean that they are living the truth out in their daily lives. That's what it means to grow to maturity. And so when you're discipling another believer, you're not just focused on downloading content like you're trying to prepare them for a Bible exam. Right? You're focused on seeing their lives transformed little by little, year by year, so that they look more like Jesus than they did before. Because God saves us by his grace, and then by his grace he wants to grow us over the course of our Christian lives to look more like Jesus. That's what we want to see happening in our own lives, and that's what we want to see happening in the life of that person that we are investing in. The goal is maturity. The goal is Christ-likeness. Again, you see it in verse 13, that we would grow to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ Christ-likeness is the goal. Again, we won't get there in this life. Matthew Henry has said we won't be perfect men until we get to the perfect world. But that never ceases to be our goal. We don't stay content with where we are. We continue to grow and to push forward that we might know him more and that we might be more like him. Again, verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So again, he is the head. We are the body. But notice it says we grow up into him. It doesn't just say there that we grow to be like him. The idea is not that there's a picture of Jesus, a painting of Jesus over on a mantle, and that we're just trying to copy it as best that we can. That's not the picture. The picture is that we are a part of his body, and we are connected to him, and he is our head. And the only way that we're going to grow to be like him is if we grow up 
into him, if we grow in our intimacy with him so that we begin to look more like him and think more like him and speak more like him in all things, in all areas of our life. And we need to help one another to do that. Now listen, that doesn't mean that, that we are some guru. I hope you'll hear that today. When I talk about discipling someone else, it doesn't mean that, 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 that we need to think of ourselves as like we're a little guru on top of a mountain, right? And come to me, young Padawan, and I will teach you all that I have learned, right? No, that's not how it works. In fact, what you'll find is that as you begin to invest in the life of someone else and seek to bless them, you end up being blessed in return. They end up investing in you, and together you help one another to grow to maturity in Christ. So that's one of our aims, to grow to maturity, to help them to know the truth. Number three, to discover their purpose. To discover their purpose. And what is their purpose? What is our purpose? What did God save us to do? Well, even taking a step back from Ephesians 4 and just looking at the whole of the Word of God, we've been saved to glorify God and to enjoy God. Right? We were created for his glory. We have been saved for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10 says to do everything you do for the glory of God. That is our purpose. And of course, we do that by enjoying him, by finding our delight and our pleasure in knowing the Lord Jesus and in growing in our intimacy with him. And as we do that, we glorify him. So we want to help that believer, to understand that, how to glorify God in every area of their life, how to enjoy God, enjoy being his son, enjoy being his daughter. Secondly, we want to help them uh, to understand that they have been saved to serve God and to serve others. Again, the context of Ephesians 4 is all about spiritual gifts. And one of the things that a believer needs to understand is that they have been gifted by the Lord with a spiritual gift that he wants them to not sit on the sidelines, but he wants them to serve. And very often, a good indicator of when someone is really starting to take off in their spiritual growth is when they start get excited about serving. And a lot of times, all they need is for a more mature believer to just point them in the right direction, just to let them loose, because they're already wound up with the joy of the Lord. They're already wound up with the energy of the Lord. They want to serve the Lord with the gifts that they have. All they need is to be steered in the right direction. Help them to discover their purpose in serving the Lord. And then also... Of course, part of that purpose is what we've been talking about today, to make disciples. It's not just you that are called to make disciples. If they're a disciple of Christ, then they're called to make disciples as well. And that's what this whole passage in Ephesians 4 is about. None of us are called to be bench warmers. We're all called to get in the game. And so really, the task of disciple making is not complete until that person that you are discipling has been equipped and released to go and to make disciples also. Here's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the chain progression that's happening in that verse? Paul says, Timothy, I taught you these things. I want you to pass them on to someone else and pass them on to someone else who can pass them on to someone else. That's why we called this series Revolution. Because it takes a revolution around this disciple-making cycle for a real discipleship revolution to take place. There is no other plan. There is no other plan than disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we keep on doing that until the Lord Jesus comes back for his church. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to do that. 
I know the Lord has called me to do that. I know that's part of my purpose, but I just need, I need you to set me in the right direction. I just need to know how to get started. And so in these final few minutes, very quickly, I want to share with you a few practical tips about how you can do this, how you can make disciples. First off, remember this. You can't disciple everyone, so pick a fat person. I know that sounds funny to say, but FAT, you can see, is an acronym, all right? And it stands for Faithful, Available, and Teachable. Faithful, Available, and Teachable. No one will ever forget that, all right? And and so think about that. Who, Who is a person who is faithful? Someone who is growing in their faith and invest in them. But they also have to be available, right? If, if they never have time to meet, if they never have time to, to get together, if they never have time to read anything, if they never have time to do anything, well, then guess what? They're not available, right? And so you have to wait for a time in their life when they are available or something changes in their heart where they're ready to grow to that next uh, stage of their development with Christ, right? They have to be available. They also have to be teachable. Now, the Bible talks a lot about pride and humility, And when we're so proud that we think we already know everything, that nobody can teach me anything, then then guess what? By definition, someone who is not teachable cannot be taught. Right? So invest. You can't disciple everyone. Invest the limited time that you have in someone who is fat, someone who is faithful, available, and teachable. Number two, be proactive, but don't be weird. Be proactive, but don't be weird. Someone has to initiate the relationship, right? Someone has to move the relationship into a discipling relationship where the intention is that both of you will grow together and help each other to grow spiritually. But that doesn't mean you have to be super weird about it, right? It doesn't mean you have to come up to somebody and say, now, in a super spiritual voice, now, brother, sister, I'd like to take you under my spiritual wing and just pour myself into your life. I mean, honestly, it sounds a little bit more like a pickup line. You don't want to do that. You know, and if, 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 that per, if you say that to somebody and they take like two steps backward, it's not because they're not fat. It's because you're weird, right? <laughs> so don't be weird, right? You don't have to say that, right? You, you, just, you just have to reach out to them. Really, it's just about making friends with them, right? Making friends with them and then start to do the next couple of things we're going to talk about. Number three, read the word together. Read the word together. Remember, one of the things we're aiming for is that they would grow in the knowledge of the truth. Well, how does that happen? It only happens when we spend time in the truth. And Jesus said, sanctify them by your word. Your word is what? Truth. And so read the word of God together. It, It can be as simple as getting coffee together once a week and reading the Bible together. If you have the spiritual gift of coffee drinking, you can do this. Right? Get together. Read a passage from the Bible together. Uh, Maybe talk about whatever passage you uh, covered in your life group together, your Sunday school class. Maybe talk about whatever passage we have studied in our time in corporate worship that past Sunday. Maybe talk about whatever passage both of you have read in your individual time with the Lord. But just spend time talking about the Word together and things will come up, topics will come up as you read the word together that you can help each other to grow in. Number three, or excuse me, number four, spend time together. Spend time together. Maybe you've heard it said that many things are more caught than they are taught. More caught than taught. And for someone to catch something, they have to spend time with you. It means that this has to be more than just a once a week or once a month we're going to get together and and meet. It means you have to open up your life to them. 
You have to invite them in to see what's really going on, to spend time with you. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to add 15 things to your schedule. It can just mean that you do what you already do to serve the Lord, but you pick up the phone and you call them and say, hey, would you come with me? Hey, I'm going to the hospital to visit someone in our small group. How'd you like to ride with me while we do that? Hey, I'm going over to this person's house to pray with them about something going on in their life. How would you like to come along with me while we do that? Maybe it includes inviting that younger couple that you've been investing in, inviting them over to your home for dinner, letting them see how you are with your family, how it is that you do your family devotion time with your kids. I know some of you are thinking, my goodness, if I did that, well, then they would see how crazy my life really is. Then they would see that my kids don't always behave the way that they should. Then they would see that I'm not really perfect. That's exactly right. And you know what? Sometimes the biggest gains that that person will make in their discipleship is not by seeing your life as perfect. It's by seeing the imperfections in your life, the fact that you are still growing also, but seeing how you handle that, seeing what you do with that, seeing where you take your sin, seeing where you take your struggles, Realizing that you're a real person that has real flaws, but you're wanting to grow to be more like Jesus also. But we have to spend time with others in order for them to grow. And then also, number five, ask lots of questions. Ask lots of questions. You know, none of your discipling relationships in the course of your life are going to look exactly the same. Because no two people are alike. So how do you know the things that need to be talked about with this person as opposed to that person? The only way you know is if you ask questions, right? Ask lots of questions. And as you ask questions, th- things are going to arise. They will tell you some of the things along the way that need to be talked about from the Word of God. So ask questions. And then number six, if you don't know what to talk about, just focus on the main spheres of life. Everybody has four main spheres of life. Their relationship with God. Talk about that. Their relationship with their family. If they're married, their relationship with their spouse. If they're a parent, their relationship with their children or their grandchildren. Talk about your relationship with God, relationship with family, relationship with the church, and then their work life. And in those four areas, those four spheres of life, a lot of things are going to arise that you're going to be able to talk about and help each other grow from the Word. Then number seven, always remember this. You are not God. So do your part And trust his work in that person's life. You know, sometimes you you will spend maybe even years of your life with another Christian. And you'll invest in them. You'll take lots of time with them. And somewhere along the line, their relationship with the Lord begins to cool. Or sometimes, God forbid, but sometimes that person will even walk away from their faith. Walk away from the church altogether. And when that happens with somebody that you've spent a lot of time with, a lot of energy has been invested in loving that individual, it can be very discouraging. You can feel like a failure, like maybe I'm not cut out to do it. Maybe, maybe God called everybody else to make disciples, but he didn't call me because obviously I'm an abject failure at this. But that's not the case. You know what? If you have been faithful to God to love that person as best as you can, you've already been a success. You have already been a success. That's all God asks you to do. You can only control you. Right? And you can only do that by the Spirit of God. Right? So you do your part. They have a part of this as well, responsibility to honor God and to obey his word. And you can't make them do that. You can only encourage them to do that. And then you trust God to do his part. So do your part. Trust God to do the rest. And then finally, number eight, end when it's time to end. 
Because there is a season to everything. Just because you start meeting with someone and spending time together doesn't mean that you're going to end up doing that every week until Jesus returns. It doesn't mean that. There are seasons to life. There are times where you love that person and you invest in that business for a certain season and then God either moves them or he moves you. It's very rare. Hear me. It's very rare that you will be the one person who gets to walk all the way around the disciple-making pathway with that other person. Think about it. Is that, is that how it has worked for you? Right? That's not how it's worked for me, right? There has been, as I look back over my Christian life, that there have been different people and different seasons of my life who walked beside me for periods of time. There were some people in my childhood years, in my teenage years, in my 20s and 30s who have walked alongside me for this period of life and then that, and then this group of people had an impact on me, and then this church family, but it's different people along the way, and that's how it's going to be. God will use you for a period of time, uh, and then uh, you will just know that it's time. Maybe that someone else is needed to help that individual to go to that next uh, level of their, their walk with the Lord and, and, and that God is leading you to start investing in someone else. That doesn't mean you cut that person off. Obviously, you love them. You're always friends with them. You check up on them, but, but there's a time and a place where God has moved you on to invest more of your time in someone else, and that is really okay because, again, we're not God. God is God. And by God's design, he uses the whole church. Verse 16 says he uses the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know, if you were here last time, I asked a a question, a simple question. I want to ask that same question today. What one person in our church is God calling you to help follow Jesus this year? Maybe some of you already wrote a name down a few weeks ago when I asked that question, but maybe today God would leave some of you to write a name down. What one person in our church is God leading you to help follow Jesus this next year? Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in your uh, small group that you're a part of or just someone that God has laid on your heart that you know, you know, God, I know that you're leading me to just to do something, to help them, to help them to grow, to meet with them, to really begin to build a closer friendship with them, with the intent being that we would both grow in our relationship with the Lord. And so after you've written that name down, I'm going to give you a minute just to pray for that person by name, to lift that name up to God, to pray for yourself, to pray that you would be faithful to do what God's called you to do, to know what your first step would be in initiating that relationship. So take a minute and pray. I'll lift that name up to the Lord. Father, we thank you that it's by your plan that you have joined us together. You've fitted us together into a church family. And it's your design, it's your plan that 
each of us would help others in our church family to grow. And so, Lord, we lift these names up to you. Father, we're imperfect. We're all just somewhere along the journey ourselves. But, Father, would you use us? Would you use others to impact us that we might grow? And would you use us to impact others who maybe haven't walked with the Lord as long as we have? That together, Father, we would grow and our knowledge of the truth. We would grow to maturity to be more like your son Jesus than we've been before. Father, that we'd grow in our purpose of glorifying you. That's why we're on this planet. That's why you saved us through the blood of Christ. So Lord, use us, use us this year to help each other to grow. In this, your church, In Jesus' name we pray.